0: Good evening. It is another great opportunity we have been blessed with as God's children to assemble as we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth as we are commanded. And as we turn our attention to yet again another lesson, this will be the ninth part of our crucifixion series that we have looked at this present year. And tonight, as we start our introduction, Again, this is a continued study that we have have been undergoing now for the entirety of the year 2019, at least on the last Sunday evenings of the month. And the last few lessons that we've been looking at and will continue to do so tonight, we have turned our attention to those things spoken by Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. They have been intriguing. They have taught us great things. And we'll continue to do that tonight. Thus far, and as we have looked at these lessons throughout going back all the way to January, it has been now, you may recall that we looked at the Lord's Supper. We also looked at prayer, and we looked at the absolute astounding truths that involves us as Christians partaking the Lord's Supper, as well as our prayer life to God the Father. We also looked in detail at the trial of our Lord, the absolute tragedy of it, the un, 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 un honest, dishonest ways that he was, had to undergo. We also looked at the statement that he made to Pilate of a kingdom not of this world, and that, that he was just a few moments away from, for dying for the church, and then, of course, roughly 50 days later, that wonderful church that you and I are a part of would be established We also looked at the physical torture and the aspects of it, as our Savior was scourged, as the crown of thorns were driven down and beaten down into his head. We also looked at what the nails had done to his body, the nerves they severed, and the position and posture he was on the cross. And then that brought us to our lessons that will close this series of lessons by the words he's spoken on the cross. We looked at forgiveness to thank being in that condition and being able to pronounce forgiveness upon those that were doing this to him. It stirred each of our hearts, I'm sure, as well as paradise, the next statement that our Savior made, of course, to that thief. And we learned about where we go when we pass away from this life. As faithful Christians. We also looked at a lesson for care, also a spiritual care, as Jesus gave that pronouncement to John to take care of his mother. In our last lesson, last month, we looked at Jesus' statement of being abandoned, being forsaken by God the Father, but for a moment due to the sin that had made its presence known as Jesus fulfilled scripture, fulfilled plan of salvation, and died for his church. So tonight that brings us to our next to the last lesson. We've got one more to go after this one, and tonight it is I Thirst. As was read for us a moment ago from John chapter 19, verse 28, and may want to be turning there, we're going to look at that in detail, and it reads as follows. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Verse 29, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. As we look at that, and that gives us an introduction for what we're going to look at tonight in those sets of verses, it's a remarkable thing, it seems to me, to learn what can be taught and learned from just these two simple verses of a statement of I thirst. We're going to look at what drove our Savior to thirst, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as we've done in the past, and we're going to put a spiritual aspect on this to you and I as Christians. Can we as Christians have or not have spiritual thirst? And we're going to look at our Master's teaching on that as well. But for now, the statement of I thirst. Again, Jesus made this statement of it being a physical thirst. You may recall the four things that he had spoken to this point did not have anything to do with himself. He did not wish for pain, for, for relief of the pain that he was in. But now, as he made this statement, We must consider now the physical condition that our Savior was was undergoing at this moment. Again, he had been scourged, beaten mercilessly. The lack of blood in his body had likely now been nearly unimaginably gone. He had now, in the posture which he was in, hanging on the cross, now had to be difficult to breathe. And as far as I was able to to, to tell in studying and preparing for this and trying to learn with all these different postures and conditions that he was in, it it would appear that severe dehydration was now beginning to set in. You know, dehydration is a very dangerous thing for us to consider during the summertime a lot of times especially during this summer as we watch the weather on the news that the weather meteorologists will put out either maybe a advisory of the heat that's going to be uh, on a day and the humidity and to limit outdoor activities and for us as we maybe we have worked in extreme heat maybe Working in the garden or doing yard work or some kind of physical labor, and a very in very hot conditions, that takes a toll on the body, and if not properly hydrated, that could lead into heat exhaustion. But as well, as we look at our condition of our Savior, we all know very well that that was not of 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 a heat was not of his lot on this occasion. It was his physical condition that he had now arrived in. Again, the, condi- the, the mental strain that he had to be going undergoing just to think about breathing, the posture he was in. Remember, his knees were bent in the middle, and he would have to push himself against those nails in his ankle area to be able to get, just get a breath in his lungs at this point. There was no comfortable condition in a position as he was in. And yet, he sought it through. He had the power to call to God the Father, to deliver him from, his, from this moment, to go back to heaven. But he knew it couldn't be done. He had to go un- through, undergo all this so that we could have salvation. He had to carry our sins, the sins of the whole world. And to those that would come unto him would be given salvation, would be given citizenship in his kingdom. So, as we go back and look at that verse in John chapter 19, verse 28, the first part of that reads again like this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, brings us to this next slide. Knowing that all things were accomplished. As we consider the purpose for Jesus taking on flesh upon the earth, it was not to heal the sick by itself, It was not to preach entirely. Although he commanded scripture by doing that and setting forth his purpose, his ultimate purpose was to die for the human family. And from this particular verse, we can appreciate by by rightly dividing some verses here to Old Testament prophecy, we can gain a better understanding of this remarkable truth. Jesus had now arrived at the end of his life. He had already foretold to his apostles that he was going to be gone, going to Jerusalem. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be killed. But that wasn't all. He was going to rise again the third day. And he did that just as Old Testament prophecy as well as himself had said he he would. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 Jesus makes the statement that not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass until all things be fulfilled. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus on that occasion would say, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. The will of him that sent me. That was God the Father. God the Father really from, that, from the beginning of the, of the world itself. And we're going to look at that in our next lesson to be the will of God next month about how, how God looked down through the stream of time and could see the sin of the human family and knowing that his son, the second member of the Godhead, would have to be sent and would have to die and carry the weight of those sins, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus would go on to say in John chapter 10, verse 18, about his life, it's about his life itself. He would say, on that occasion, "No man taketh, my, taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father? It was the Father's will. It was the Father's will that he undergo all these horrendous things physically, as well as spiritually, having the sins of the world heaped upon Him again. Now remember, He didn't have any sin. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice for us all. But as we look at Old Testament prophecy, it's troubling to me that many in our land be it scholars, skeptics, atheists, will try to accuse the Bible of inaccuracy. But as we look at the nearly close to 300 messianic prophecies that is fulfilled, they simply can't do that. This is truly history written before its time, as we see the foreknowledge of God presented in many of these ways. To say it's history written before its time is really an understatement isn't it to be able to look at the proof for Bible inspiration and knowing that no man physically by himself at least wrote this book 39 Old Testament books 27 New Testament making up the Old Testament canon as well as the New Testament canon God's the author God the Holy Spirit that is But as we also look at these thoughts and these rather blasphemous things that these skeptics will say, it was just this week for myself that there was a comment made to me about Koine Greek. And as we may know, Koine Greek is that language that the New Testament was originally written in. And this individual made the statement that Koine Greek during that, in that time was... Sloppy, that no one could really understand it. Friends, that's not so. We may recall that Koine Greek was the common language of the common people. During that time, in, in approximately 31 B.C., after the reign of Alexander the Great and after his, all of his conquering, there was a time in, that Rome, in the Greek Empire of the Hellenistic period and that's where this Koine Greek came from. It was the common language of the of the general people, of the general population. Now there was was another form of Greek and it was called classical Greek, and it was spoken by the those that were the in the upper class elite and those individuals. But don't we see here that God would never permit his word to be written in a way where really common individuals couldn't understand it. A very small group of upper elite classes only spoke classical Greek. Koine Greek was that common language of the everyday people. And it is understandable. We can't understand what it says. The manuscript evidence, as the copies of the New Testament were revealed, reveals those very... Biblical truths on every biblical matter. But as we turn our attention to some of these Old Testament passages, what about some that Jesus mentioned of with his method of teaching in the New Testament? We are all familiar, I'm sure, with the parables that Jesus taught. But Jesus quoted directly in Isaiah chapter 6 from Isaiah chapter six verse nine. If you would be turning to Matthew chapter thirteen with me, Jesus made a statement here in the speaking of his own, of his own teaching style that that was prophesied long ago. Matthew chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Elias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Jesus directly quoted from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, in that he was going to be teaching by way of, par- by way of parables. And those parables were, a, we, as we all know, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And as we see here in Matthew chapter 13, the parable chapter of the Bible, as it's called, we see Jesus doing just that, beginning a few verses later with the parable of the sower. And isn't it amazing at how each of those parables relate directly to the kingdom of God, to the church that he established? But what about another one that Jesus would really not have had any direct control of and That was at his death, after his death. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, the statement there is made that at his death, he would be made rich. Again, he would be buried. His body would be anointed and taken care of and buried as the rich would have been in a tomb where no other ones had ever been laid before. That's another check mark off that list of Old Testament prophecy. But again, what about another one? In Psalms chapter 22, verse 18, we looked at that in detail on our last occasion, that his garments would be cast for lots. Again, as those Roman soldiers, they divided it and cast lots for it. And the uniqueness that they, in fact, would make known about it on that occasion with the, seam, with the seams in it. But some may arrive at this point. Well, those Old Testament prophecies, Jesus knew that those were he was going to do that, and maybe they were even written before Jesus. Or or I'm sorry, after Jesus' time. But friends, that's simply not so. The dating and some of those the events and some of those chapters through Isaiah, through Psalms as we sing, that we see throughout throughout the, the verses in the chapters simply would not allow us to make that kind of conclusion. Jesus here did not have any, co- any control over what those Roman soldiers did. And of course, those Roman soldiers would never have known Old Testament prophecy of what they were doing. Again, history written before its time, the foreknowledge of God. But what about another one? In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, we have a statement there of, about Jesus and his death. And it reads, his visage would be marred more than any man. His visage. That's just a word for his appearance. During the course of this crucifixion, the torture there, uh, there, the, that it had to go to accompany it, that he under, underwent, and that picture that was on our previous slide that I have used through the series of lessons, that likely does not do The crucifixion, justice. Again, his appearance was marred more than any man. Throughout the thousands and thousands of crucifixions that had been done, Jesus was different. We may remember in that Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, one chapter previous from that gives us the description that his beard was plucked from his face and the torture that that had to involve, the swelling, the sores, and the bleeding that had to be profusely coming from his face as they done that, no wonder his visage was marred more than any man. Again, history written before its time by the foreknowledge of God. And for all the skeptics, for all the college professors, for all the atheists that does not believe the Bible to be from God. May we always remember as Christians that in John chapter 10, verse 35, Scripture cannot be broken. It is forever. It will last until the end of time. God has always seen that promise through. Though in the world in previous years that Bibles were destroyed and and religions were oppressed, God's still seen his word through. And we can appreciate that this ultimate plan of God for salvation was accomplished in the year 30 AD. We'll have a few more Old Testament prophecies to look at in our next occasion, if it be the will of God next month. But for now, Let's look at a spiritual hunger and thirst, shall we? A spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus, we all know, his thirst was physical and the torture that he was in. But Jesus also spoke of a spiritual hunger and thirst when he began his public preaching ministry. And that is recorded to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. In the middle of the Beatitudes... We may remember that Jesus gave the pronouncements, blessed are you, blessed are you, and then he comes to this, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. May I say that applies to all of us as Christians, as New Testament Christians and individuals that seek for the truth and that do live our lives in accordance to that truth in every way. We then can appreciate the authorization for righteousness, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed, that applies to us as a congregation, for our worship to be done in spirit and in truth and righteousness, but as well as our, our personal, physical lives as we live from day to day, be it at home, be it at work, Be it on vacation, be it anywhere we go, we always have to seek the paths of righteousness in every way and every aspect that we live. In Psalm chapter one nineteen, verse one hundred sixty, this is said about, about God's word in righteousness. The word is from the beginning. And, any, and, in, and every one of his righteous judgments endureth forever. So if we wish to grow as Christians, if we wish to bring glory and honor to God, we will strive to ther- thoroughly equip ourselves with a knowledge of His word. Again, appreciating both Old Testament prophecies as well as, as, and teachings as well as how the New Testament church, and our and membership of it should be conducted. But what if we're not doing that? Do we, and we, this can be a question that can be asked of each of us, and myself included, do we hunger and thirst after righteousness or the things of the world? At one time we may have been baptized into Christ, we may have o- obeyed the gospel, and for a while, we may have been faithful. But again, we allow temptation and Satan to start making, creeping his way back into our lives. And before we know it, we're out of the church. We're away from God. We've allowed the material things of this world to rule our lives. But, friends, we all, we all must remember we can't fool God, nobody can. We can't fool Christ, we can't fool the Holy Spirit. We are all living. We all we all are are supposed to be living a life that is in accordance with God's word. And yet time and again that type of thing happens. And we hear about it far more often than we would like about individuals leaving the church going to a denomination because they're just not happy. They want something different. But friends, on the day of judgment. That won't, that won't suffice. That won't be sufficient. And they'll have to give an answer for it. And if they've obeyed the gospel and they made that statement of faith and they made that statement of willingness not to never leave God, then once again they fall into the most horrible, most unimaginable punishment that could ever be delivered on an individual. And yet countless individuals on the day of judgment are going to have that very sentence delivered to them because they turn their back on God. And I'm not talking about individuals that don't ever, never obeyed the gospel. These are people that sold their soul. These are Christians that sold their soul for what makes them happy. They rejected God's word. They put in their walks of wickedness and they left their first love. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning in Revelation chapter 2, There's a pronouncement given to the seven churches of Asia, and it's very telling. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. As Jesus uh, says unto the angel of the church in verse 1, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus writes, so this letter is delivered to the the church at Ephesus. But if we go down to verse 2, the very first statement here as he addresses them, he says, very simply, very straightforwardly, I know thy works. Jesus knows our works today. He knows what we do, how we conduct ourselves, and he knows if we are living for him. He knows if we're evangelizing, if we can can to others with the best of our abilities. But also, the same statement is made Once again, to the Laodiceans, beginning in chapter 3, in the next chapter, verse 14, Jesus says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true, witness the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15 again, I know thy works. He knew their works. And we may remember, the pronouncement was given that they were neither cold or hot. And Jesus says there, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you were lukewarm and you made me sick and I'll spew you out of my mouth. A lukewarm Christian will be spewed out of the mouth of our Savior on the day of judgment. A lukewarm Christian cannot live his life and go to heaven. A lukewarm Christian cannot live for Christ one day, and live for the devil and of the world the next. And although this comes in many forms, we all are guilty of, of, the, of some of these things in some ways, and we're going to be faced with them. The devil is going to try his best to take us away from hungering and thirsting after righteousness. we're all faced with the difficulties of life. But we all must remember what Jesus went through, the thirst he endured, the pain he endured, the death he died. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, for anybody that's going through any type of difficulties, any type of Separation, difficulties, maybe even separation from God. It's commanded of you that you come back to God. But always remember, beginning in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says, For in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus is the ultimate being to find forgiveness, to find comfort in times of depression and need. He went through it all, and he stands four squarely as our example. But when we as Christians are faced with things, do we go to God in prayer? We may be under persecution on the job site by our beliefs in Christ. Are we quick to go to God in prayer to help us through those situations? Or do we turn to other solutions? So as we come to the close of our lesson tonight, it's a question for all of us. Are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are we appreciating what Jesus did for us? Do we have that on the forefront of our thinking each and every day? and about his word, and about us living in accordance to it, we all must be reminded of John chapter 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. If you find yourself apart and distant from God tonight, it is our prayer that you will come down this aisle at once, to be reunited with your first love. We are urged in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, to examine yourselves. Paul would tell that congregation to examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Are you in the faith tonight, my friend? If you're not, we pray that you will do something about that. If you've never obeyed the gospel, it is commanded of you that you hear the word, believe, repent, confess. And be baptized. Once you do that, you're then added to, his, to the church, the church that Jesus died for. And if you continue your life faithfully, a home in heaven will be yours. It's promised. But if you have walked away from that, you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness as you should be, we'll pray for you. If you'll repent and confess those things, God's promised it. If we can help you tonight, we ask that you come forward If that be the need of your life while together we stand and while we sing.